And I was a part of a mastermind that we're both familiar with. And the guy in that mastermind talked about how when he first, he's been in this business now for over 10 years. And he talked about how when he first raised, he literally raised no money. And what ended up happening is that he asked the, he had an arrangement with the operator where the operator sort of, he said, okay, could you give me a year to raise half a million? And the operator gave him a year or so to raise. And he ultimately came in at about over 700 when it was all said and done. But it was a combination of hearing all these stories that made me realize I need time. I need time and proof of concept and the ability to keep raising. Have you ever asked yourself what can go wrong when investing in apartments? What challenges do investors face when dealing with such a large asset class? Well, on the No BS Apartment Investing Podcast, we place expert professionals on the hot seat, ask them the tough questions that may be running through your mind, all while removing the fluff that comes with apartment investing. We aim to put your mind at ease while showing you that investing in apartments is the way to financial freedom. And now for your host, Mark Caesar. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of the No BS Apartment Investing Podcast. I am your host, Mark Caesar, and today we will be speaking with Miss Lisa Hilton. Now, Lisa is the host of the Level Up REI Podcast. She's also the VP of Finance for a real estate tech startup and founder of the Fund Manager Accelerator course and also the LisaHilton.com web platform. Uh, she is a commercial real estate fund manager. Um, she that has created that was actually created to help accredited investors gain diversification across private commercial real estate investments. And so today we will be you will actually be learning from Lisa the, the intricate details of capital raising and you know what led her to starting her own fund, which is a very popular topic that a lot of people are are talking about and a lot of people are creating. So you will also be hearing, you know, snippets of her journey as a capital raiser and a lot of the in-between scary stories that people don't talk about when it comes to, to raising capital. So with that, without further ado, Lisa, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Mark. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I know last time we spoke, you were, you actually did my meetup and yeah. you broke down a lot of, you know, how you, how you raise capital, you know, the systems you put in place. So now we're going to get into the, the meat of the, of the issues. So let's jump right into it. Um, capital raising, like what led you to, to wanting to be a capital raiser for, for, you know, real estate. Yeah. Great question. So, um, I would say that I don't really, first of all, I don't really call myself capital raiser. I am a fund manager, um, because capital raising capital in and of itself is illegal unless you're a broker dealer. So for people listening, I think it's important for them. That's the first thing that they need to really understand is that, um, raising capital alone will put you in trouble with the SEC. Um, you need to be doing other roles and responsibilities in addition to just raising capital. Um, and 
So as a result, I'm a fund manager. How I got here, you know, um, it wasn't, it took a, it took a while. It took a while. <laughs> um, granted, they always say that, you know, what is around, it's like so obvious when you look back, but like when you're in the minute, like you can't really see it. So I have always been in funds. Um, I started my career. I'm an accountant. I started my career at PwC. I did 10 years at PwC auditing funds, all types, everything, hedge funds, private equity, mutual funds, 40 act funds, everything. Um, and I started in Cayman. I did four years in Grand Cayman where, where I started in Cayman. I didn't have a choice. There was funds and banks. That was it. <laughs> so um, as a result, when I started, I started in funds. Like that's that's all that was available in the Cayman Islands. It was funds and banks. Um, and I was on funds audits. And I, that took me to Boston. I went to Boston, did more alternative fund audits, came out to L.A., even more invest working for more investment managers taking air funds. So I've been in the investment investment management space my entire career out of leaving college. Um, and then I left to work for an investment manager, them at one um, like an investment manager itself uh, here in LA, um, taking care of private equity real estate funds. And that's the first time I was actually working on real estate funds. Prior to that, I had like little bit of stints with real estate funds, but this was like the full Mountie of like dealing with real estate funds from, you know, soup to nuts, um, you know, older funds, uh, funds that are just starting, liquidating, starting them, taking care of them throughout their entire life cycle. Uh, and then, you know, during that time, I got introduced to syndication. Uh, prior to that, um, I had invested, I grew up in a real estate family. My father was a contractor. Um, and then ultimately, like my parents didn't really teach real estate. So when I was older and I bought my first place, I bought it because like I loved it. And everyone, everyone was like, oh, you should buy a place, you know, like the American dream, the whole nine yards. So bought a place, quickly realized it didn't cash flow understood what cash flow meant once I bought it because I realized that I wasn't getting any money because all the expenses were eating it up. Um, learned a ton of lessons. During that time, I was an out-of-country landlord because I lived in Boston and then ultimately in LA. When I moved to LA is when I sold the property. A year after I sold it is when I took the job working for this investment manager on private equity real estate funds. And I said, oh, wow, six months in, I said, ah, people are making money investing in real estate. You just need to know what you're doing. And clearly the first part, the first time I did this, I didn't really understand. So that's when I got I started getting educated, you know, bigger pockets, the whole nine yards. And I went from trying to house hack here in LA, like buy a duplex, live in one side, everything. I didn't want a big commute. So that meant million dollar duplexes. And that was also outside of my price range. Uh, so I started looking um, outside of California because I believe in the philosophy of live where you want to live and invest where it makes sense. Started looking outside of California for turnkeys. Um, and that, like my initial experience with the property that I purchased went in Cayman, left definitely a bad taste in my mouth. And I just couldn't pull the trigger on anything. Um, and then ultimately, I got introduced to syndications randomly. I wasn't, I had sort of taken a break from the whole real estate thing, was doing some personal development stuff. And I met someone who was a syndicator. 
Um, and that's how I, you know, got started investing in my first syndication. And then they had another opportunity and I decided to invest. And that person actually said, Hey, you know, do you guys, I was in their mastermind and they were like, Hey, do you guys want to create like a fun vehicle? And at first I was like, Oh, I don't know if I want to do that. But then as I learned more about it and I tried it, I said, Oh, wow. Like this is, yeah, let, let's do this. And we did that. And that's how I got started. So long answer, but that's how I got started in FUDS. That's nice. And I appreciate you clarifying the fact that capital raising does have uh, a stigma behind it. And a lot of people for those who are new that don't understand, you know, capital raising is, as Lisa eloquently put it, you know, it, you definitely need to have a license. Uh, I forgot what the licenses are called. Yeah, are broker dealer license. Broker dealer license. So yeah. it's very imperative, you know, to to make sure you have that to um to actually go out and raise capital. So yeah, Lisa, thank you so much for sharing that story. That is a, a truly powerful story. Now, let, let's dig let's dig a little deeper into it. You know, so you got introduced into the world of real estate uh, yeah. via syndications. And you've gone through your first syndication and now you got introduced to the, the nitty gritty of raising, of, you know, bringing capital and opportunity, you know, bringing opportunities to investors and, and for capital and stuff like that. Uh, you were hesitant at first. Why, why, why the hesitancy towards, you know, we can't do that or I can't do that. Like what, yeah. what stopped you? I had never done it before. Um, and I didn't know anyone who had done it. Number two. Um, and number three, like, you know, ultimately we would have in that particular situation, um, you like, those were the two big things. And then ultimately in that situation as well, like just, I had invested in the deal before like the opportunity had come up. So like on top of that, like it was like sort of exploring that, oh, well, you know, you could actually like be able to provide opportunities to other people in this way. And even after that first experience, I didn't, in I didn't like launch that and then realize, oh, like funds, fund manager is my path. I didn't like after that, I still was like trying to be operator, trying to learn about like the whole operations bit, taking more courses and classes and masterminds that were focused on operations and finding deals and the whole broker relationships and all of that aspect of the business as well. Um, so it took me, I want to say maybe almost a year and a half to about two years to start to realize that. I had just so much on my plate that I was trying to do so much and that I needed to figure out like what I was really good at and like what I was going to be known for. Um, because when you are playing in business, any business, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, the way you get the ball is through um, being known for certain things, like you're really good at X, Y, and Z, or you're really good at whatever. And that helps you to then be able to partner and collaborate with people and move faster and build your business faster and help other people who building their business faster. Um, so it took me time to realize, to learn that lesson. And once I started to learn that lesson, I said, okay, got it. Like how that's when, you know, I was on a call with, um, 
you know, other capital raisers and stuff. And I like heard them talking about like, oh, like the pain of dealing with accounting and like taking care of books and all that stuff. And I thought to myself, wow, like, you know, these SPV vehicles are very simple to take care of. Like what could potentially be the issue? And I realized that they just weren't accountants. (laughs) They weren't accountants and this was not their background. It wasn't something that they knew how to do. And this is, they needed to find a who instead of figuring out how to do all the house. Um, So that's how, like I, that's, that experience led me to then creating the course because which is the fund manager accelerator is because from having those conversations, I started with saying, well, how could I help them? Um, And then realizing that, oh, well, maybe to some degree, I probably can help by creating some kind of evergreen program that could help teach people who are interested in learning about how funds work from from the from the perspective of creating a fund themselves um, to 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 be a part of their business, um, to then be able to sort of use that and they be able to understand like how funds work, how they could utilize it, who are all the who's that could help them. So in the event that they don't want to do all the different accounting or admin work, like here are all the bunch of who's that can help them to sort of build and create um, whatever, like the funds that they're trying to do. So, yeah. Gotcha. So before we tap into the the, the fact that you created a, a fundraising program, accelerated program, yeah. you said something very interesting that piqued my that that caught my attention. You said that before you you invested into your into a deal first, and then you learned the intricate details of the operations side. Why is that so important? Because again, we see a lot of operators who are you know proclaiming this like capital raisers, but they know they just want to be capital raisers but don't know anything about anything else. Why is it important to know the? Why is it important to know about, you know, what operators do and stuff like that? Yeah, I think it's really important to know um, because, you know, you as a fund manager or someone who's deciding to raise capital, if that's the path that you're taking or collaborating with other people in any way, shape or form, or even investing passively in any of these deals, I think it's important that you understand what are the things that you need to be looking for and looking at when a deal is presented in front of you. Um, and that is going to take that is the passive investors work. And that is the people who are seeking to collaborate with operators. That's their work in the process is doing due diligence on the deal, the sponsor and the market to make sure that they are going into a deal that is a good fit for them and a good fit for their investors. Um, So I think that's And the only way you're going to know how to do that is by taking the time to get educated. Um, You don't necessarily need to like be operating properties. That would be even better, to be honest. But if, you know, you are not operating properties, you can still get educated um, and you can do your own education to get yourself educated onto like, what are the things to look for and looking at a variety of different deals. So that's what I would say. Awesome. Now, when you're presenting your investors with opportunities and mm-hmm. and allowing them to make a conscious choice of investing into that opportunity, yeah. does that operator, I mean, does that investor have any connection to that operating team or are you the one who is the 
mediator between the operator and the investor. And you're pretty much making sure that the investor understands who their operating team is, what they're doing, stuff like that. Yeah, that's exactly. So that last part is exactly what I'm doing. And here is how that came to be. So I was here still building my business. um, And I thought to myself, wow, like I get a lot of deal flow. Like people are constantly sending me deals. And I said to myself, wow, there's just so many deals. And many of them are like 75K, 100K, 50K minimums. And I thought, wow, like I could write a check for 75 or 100K and invest in one deal. I thought, what? Like, could I create an opportunity that could enable me and other people like myself to get access to more than one deal? And that's when I was like, yeah, the fund, the fund model could do that. And going back to your question, right? What the way I seek to do it is I am building relationships with tons of operators and people are sending me deals. One of the things I like to do is I create a database of deals um, with all the key information, information that I believe is key that helps me to sort of see what is going on. So like, I like to, you know, I create, I created an Excel because I'm an accountant. So that's what works best for me. Um, But everything from where the deal is located, the amount of units, how much you're buying it for, what's the going in cap rate, exit projected exit cap rate, and then the financial metrics. So what they're on their performa, what they're anticipating income to be over the, the different years that they're holding the property. Same thing for expenses, same thing for NOI, then the returns and then the debt information. So, you know, the loan to value rate, the loan to value um, ratio, the interest rate, whether it's fixed, et cetera, all of that stuff, as well as the returns um, that they're projecting each year. So the cash and cash, the IRR, um, the average annual return, all of that gives me a good picture. And what that enables to me to do is I am now building my own database, <laughs> not relying on someone else. I'm building my own database. And as people send me more and more deals, like most recently, my fund is a 506C, so it's for accredited investors. Um, And I was looking at deals to determine which deals to put in. And this was like, we're in June now. And I was looking probably two months ago. This was like April-ish, April, May. And I did this exercise. And does it take time? Yes, it does. You probably can hire a virtual assistant to do the work for you, blah, 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 whatever, like whatever you choose to do. But like it does take time. But the benefit of it is that you're able to see you start to see trends and you start to see, oh, wow, like these people are projecting similar types of returns, but their loan product is bridge with no cap (laughs) or bridge with a cap. You know, or this is giving similar returns, but it's a fixed rate loan, you know, and 
I look at the market that's in and you can do research on the market and check out, okay, what's the population growth? Like what are any kind of information that I know about the market based on just doing research? But all of this really helps you because then you start to start to see, okay, you know, looking at expense ratios, like, you know, average expense ratios for this particular market after you've been seeing a ton of different product, different investments. And as some of them go full cycle, um, you might not have the the financial statements of them, but you can ask for them if you know if people are willing to share them. Hey, you're doing due diligence. I was just curious, like how this property is performing because I would like to invest in one of your deals coming up. Like for operators that have their stuff together, it's not a big deal to be able to share with you that information because they're already sharing it to investors, right, on a regular basis. Yeah. Investors as a part of their investment team. So like that sort of helps you to sort of be able to um, start taking away the guessing game and then more um, being able to make decisions based on data and what you're seeing in the marketplace real time, but, you know, based on what um, people are actually sending you. And these are all independent sponsors. So no one is like, it's not like as though someone is talking to the other person, like they're all independent, trying to raise their own capital and um, close their own deals. So, so yeah, that's what I would say. Powerful stuff. Yeah, indeed. So let, let's, let's dig a little further here. Um, and you're doing all this while you're working at W2? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is, that is crazy. You know, it's, it's crazy. I only ask this because I hear a lot of people who say, you know, when you're investing, we're looking to escape the rat race and quit your W2 and go full time. It works yes. for some people. War. It doesn't let's work for other about people. That. What are your, what are your thoughts on, on that mantra? so to speak. Okay. So I think real estate syndications um, can be like, it's, I think it's a lucrative business. However, it's a business that in my opinion, depending on how you play in the business, um, it might take time for you to see money, like for it to grow. Right. Um, so what does that mean? That means that I feel from my experience, my experience, right? Looking, being in this business now for the last, I don't know, two years, maybe three years, is that a lot of syndicators have other streams of income, a lot. So they either have their own personal portfolio. Yes, that is another stream of income. <laughs> Your own portfolio of fourplexes in whatever home, you know, hometown that you're in that enables you to generate income, or they have courses, programs, masterminds, um, you know, or they have full on other businesses altogether that, you know, that they probably have cut their teeth in business already before they got to the business of syndicating. Um, so, I think that for someone who is in a job full time, I think that before leaping into syndications, I think it's very important to think about like other streams of income other than just syndication alone, um, because it sometimes it takes time for it to build and to grow. Um, many syndications, the general partner teams are when they actually get compensated is when the deal is sold. Yeah, I'll say that again. Many, you know, general partner teams, they're actually getting compensated when the deal is sold. 
Um, unless they invest in their deals as a limited partner, they're many times not seeing any income during those years. They might see management fee, but the management fee is there to help them to keep the asset management fee is there to help them keep the lights on. Um, and the acquisition fee is helping them to recoup a lot of expenses that they have incurred up until the point at which they found the deal, put it on the contract and now closed it with investors. So long story short is, in my opinion, I think it takes time. It's a very patient business. It it rewards people who have consistency, um, uh, persistence, and, you know, and are willing to put in the time and put in the work, in my opinion, um, based on what I have seen. So, yeah, and that's true for even the fun that I'm doing now. Right. I wouldn't have been able to do this fund if I didn't have a job because it took money to create the fund long before you can raise money from investors. And because I am a first time fund manager, um, it also will take investors taking a risk on me. So in in exchange of them taking a risk on me, I work with good, reputable operators who have strong track record. Um, And I have personally chosen to forego taking fees on my fund, but I invest through my fund as an LP. So I, uh, my money is growing as I invest along my investors, but I'm not taking, I have chosen to forego my management fee, especially on this, this first fund that I am raising. Why? Because it's a track record fund. It's a fund that is helping me to build my track record. I'm providing opportunities for investors and in exchange for them taking that risk of investing through a new fund manager, I've decided to waive my fees. So that way they can experience the same return as though they would have gone directly with, um, with the sponsor. And you see this with new sponsors as well, um, where they might, instead of doing a 70, 30 split, they might do an 80-20 split or a 90-10 split, right? Or they might choose to not have an acquisition fee. Um, you know, like the it's the same, like everyone has different ways, like based on like how you're playing the game, you have different ways in which you can sort of do this. Now you have more experienced sponsors who have like done this a ton and their splits are 50-50, take it or leave it. Right. But they have been doing it for 20, 30 years. So they have a very strong record track record and they're able to pull it off. Um, But yeah, like I don't sleep on my job at all because um, I think that it's help. It's helping me to build the business that I am seeking to build right now. Um, And without it, I wouldn't have been I wouldn't be in the position to be able to create my own fund um, and to be able to slowly choose deals that make sense for me, as opposed to just picking stuff that don't make sense just because you need to raise money in order to live. So, yeah. Wow. Wow. Now that is, that is very powerful because I think that is the misconception that is out there by a lot of the gurus, so to speak, which is multi uh, multifamily via syndication is like uh, it's a microwavable type. Yeah. Um, no type space and it is and as you as you said operators make money on the back end so if you're holding it for five years you're really seeing the butt of that money in the fifth year when you sell 
Right. In between, you're not seeing much. You're like you said, you're seeing stuff that would keep the lights on. But the people that are really making money are the the limited partners that are investing into the deal. So you definitely need a plan B or plan C to make sure that, you know, you're covered. And of course, when you're dealing with funds, especially if, as you said, if you're new to the space, you want to give as much away to the limited partners because they're taking a bigger part of the risk than you are. They're yeah. throwing, they're, some of them are throwing their life savings into it and you don't have a track record. So you definitely need to forego, you know, mm-hmm. acquisition fee or something to make sure that, hey, they're trusting you that you have some kind of skin in the game as well. And Correct. that's that's the name of the space. You know, you definitely have to have some kind of skin in the game. And it's all about trust. You know, if yep. if you screw up one time in this space, uh, it's that's the yeah, end of it's business. very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And we we hear it a lot. We hear a lot of, you know, these um, scam funds and stuff like that that mm-hmm. are happening. People are 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 by are, you know, raising funds and misappropriating those funds. So it's yeah. very important, you know, like, and I like the, your approach and I've always followed your system of how you approach, which is to do business with reputable people and to vet them thoroughly to make sure that, all right, I'm putting my name on the line and I'm bringing investors opportunities. I want to make sure that my name is not tainted and that my investors are protected because they are the lifeline of the business. Right. So it, it is imperative to to make sure that everything is on the up and up. So that is very powerful. I like that you shared that. So you, I don't know when we were speaking earlier, you were mentioning yeah. that out of the pain of yeah. raising capital, that's where you the 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 idea of the fun accelerator came up. Take yeah. us through that story. Yes, yes, yes. So um, as I shared before, right, I did my first fund in the fall of 2019. That one now has gone full cycle, giving back everybody their money, the whole nine yards. That happened in 2021. In 2020, um, there was a deal in the fall and same operator as the one in 2019. But, you know, 2020 was a very challenging year. Um, and I said to the people that I did the first fund with in 2019, hey, do you guys want to do another one for this deal. And they said, no, no one was interested. Um, Many of them had no longer, like, I think two still are in the syndication business, but like everyone else decided to peace out. Um, And I said, okay. Um, And I tried raising and it was a complete goose egg. Like it didn't, I raised nothing pretty much. Um, And then the following year, April, May is when I, April is when I left my job and May is when there was another deal, same operator again. Um, and I tried raising, um, and I got up to like 200 ish. Um, but I needed to get above 500 in order for me to pay, to do my single purpose vehicle. Um, otherwise it wouldn't like, I felt like, cause it wouldn't have made any sense. Um, and I, because at that time, I didn't fully understand that, hey, like I would need to be full on committed to taking the risk. Um, and the way the SPV vehicle works is that essentially if you like the operator was offering a special class and you're able to go into that class if you are writing a check size over a certain amount. And I was not 
like I wanted to make sure that I would have gotten over that amount before I launched that SPV um, because the SPV would only be for that investment. I wouldn't have had the opportunity to be able to say raise through that SPV for another deal or anything of that nature. Um, So ultimately it was also a no-go. Um, and after a couple of no goes, and then eventually being able to raise in the fall, but that was a more co GP kind of environment. Um, I said, you know what, I really want to do this whole fun thing. Like, I think that this is the path for me. Um, and I started exploring it in, in the fall of 2021 seriously and like started paying the money and like getting it set up and everything for it to launch. Um, And yeah, like I then ultimately launched it in early this year. At that point, the whole fund accelerator wasn't even in the picture when I launched my own personal fund. So this was just more me focused on, hey, like what's a way in which I could go ahead and sort of be able to do this. Um, And I was a part of a mastermind that we're both familiar with. And the guy in that mastermind talked about how when he first, he's been in this business now for over 10 years. And he talked about how when he first raised, he literally raised no money. And what ended up happening is that he asked the, he had an arrangement with the operator where the operator sort of, he said, okay, could you give me a year to raise half a million? And the operator gave him a year or so to raise. And he ultimately came in at about over 700 when it was all said and done. But it was the combination of hearing all these stories that made me realize I need time. I need time and proof of concept and the ability to keep raising. And that's where I remembered that when I was working at the last investment manager I was working for, I was work, I was given a fund that no one else wanted. And the fund was like a club fund where essentially people committed to the fund. Um, and then as the fund, as the investment manager found deals, they would present them to the invest to the members. And the members got to choose whether they wanted to invest their money into the deals or not. And I thought, hmm, I think that fund struck, the the concept of that fund is something that I could use for my business. Um, And that's what I did. So I created a fund that would enable investors not to commit to my fund, but more to say, hey, via my fund, you have the ability to invest in the following deals. Um, And that's how, as I um, found the first deal in April, May of this year, presented it to investors, and then investors ultimately invest in my fund vehicle um, to invest directly in that investment. So it's not a blind fund. They get to choose what investments that they want to come into. So it was, this all was created from my own, my own pain, the pain of like not raising enough, like not blowing past a million. (laughs) Um, The pain of wanting to still deploy my own capital, like being in a position where I make good money and I want to invest passively in deals Um, and like being able to say, okay, well, if I'm in this situation, I'm pretty sure there are other people that are in that are like looking and saying, you know what, I have a hundred K, but I don't want to put 100 K into one deal. How could I put a hundred K into like maybe four or five deals? Like, what would that look like? Um, and is that possible? Like, can we, like, who's creating opportunities for people to do that? Um, so yeah, so 
ultimately where I'd like to go is to be able to create opportunities also for sophisticated investors. So non-accredited investors, um, that one is a little bit more challenging, but I'm working on that. And Hey, that's a deal with entrepreneurship, right? We are solving problems. So that's a problem and it's a problem yeah, that I'm seeking to solve. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. So with SPVs and for those who are new and don't know what SPV is, it's a special purpose vehicle. Right. Now, does the SEC um, look at those differently compared to someone who's just raising capital without a broker dealer license? How does that work? And I and disclaimer, we know Lisa is not a, an attorney or anything like that. Right. So I'm not based returning. strictly on her opinion. Yeah. So this is based on my opinion and my understandings of the laws. So like, so there's a couple different ways you can approach the whole, um, I guess, capital raising type of structure. So you have people who will code GP. So they'll come on to the GP, but they're not just bringing capital. They might be doing other things. So like, for instance, like say you're an accountant, you can help do the books, you can review or do analysis to make sure that everything looks good, provide information in that aspect or that area, right? Maybe you have other people who are, maybe they live in Texas or like yourself, like North Carolina, and like you can be boots on the ground. So your boots on the ground, you know, checking on the property from an asset management perspective on a regular basis. And then you're also raising capital. Technically, everyone on the team needs to raise some capital, right? So, um, so by and large, that's the whole code GP structure. And underneath that structure of having clear responsibilities protects you from being in trouble with the SEC because everyone has clear responsibilities and roles and all that good stuff, right? Um, with the fund, you're not on people's GP at all. So you create your own vehicle that you're responsible for. So you're responsible for all the communication to your investors. You're responsible for the, um, the accounting, you know, sending the money to your investors. You're responsible for receiving the money for, from your investors. You're responsible for taking care of all the tax work, the K-1s, because you're going to get a K-1 from your, the different sponsors that are in that particular, that you've invested with. And then ultimately your fund is going to issue one K-1 based on all the different investments investors have invested in to your vehicle in, if that makes sense. Um, so that's where, in my opinion, I think there's a bit more protection because like um, you are managing your own, you're like managing money from that perspective. And after you get over a certain amount of money, like there's additional um, registrations that you need to do with the state um, and as well as federally, but like, I'm not an attorney, but the attorneys can definitely dive deeper into that. I haven't hit those thresholds. So I'm okay for right now until, you know, my business grows to like over 5 million, 10 million, 15 million, 30 million, then it's a good problem to have, <laughs> so to speak. Right. Until then, like, um, that's just not my reality. And I just work with really good attorneys that help, you know, me to protect myself, um, as I'm executing the business plans, uh, for my particular fund. So that's pretty much how it works for broker dealers, people, the broker dealers, um, are people who essentially they hang their hat with a broker dealer, but, and they, in order to do that, they have to take certain exams from my understanding and from being around people who've already done this. Um, it's ideal for like, it makes sense to do the whole broker dealer license when you have, um, 
when you have already raised anywhere between like, I think it's like three to 5 million, like in a given year, like you're over the three to 5 million raise point, then it starts making sense to then hang your hat with a broker dealer and all that stuff. But beyond that, like it doesn't like, it can be quite cost prohibitive because it's quite expensive to do. Um, and you of course need to hit probably certain milestones. I'm not completely sure about that part, but you know, it's just another path to the extent that it makes sense. And you're raising in those capacities of, of capital. Awesome. Awesome. So as we start winding down, Lisa, uh, just a few more questions for you. Like what is something within, you know, the space that you're of capital raising and fund manager that you don't find appealing to you? Hmm. I don't find appealing. I would say I never find appealing um, trying to convince people to invest in a deal. (laughs) Like that's just not my way of doing things. Um, I would rather like be able to educate people about what's out there and how it all works and for them to feel empowered to see deals that make sense to them based on, you know, what they learn, what they understand, and to be able to invest accordingly. Um, Primarily because these kinds of deals are long-term in nature. And, you know, it's not like something where you rush someone into something only for them to then have buyer's remorse with it. Like it's not really a good place to be. So that's what I would say. Okay. Um, what is your secret, quote unquote, secret to success? And what is the biggest surprise you found in your success thus far? Um, I would say for me, my secret to my success would be resilience, you know, like being able to in the moments of perceived failure and things not going as planned, being able to pivot and learn from those mistakes and be able to say, okay, or learn from the things that didn't go as planned. Because sometimes it's not mistakes. It's just what you envisioned, like launching something and then realizing, oh, like that's not what people want. <laughs> and like pivoting and providing different you know, opportunities for, for people accordingly. Um, that's what I would say is a secret is, is resilience. The the second part, can you tell me that one again? Uh, sure. What is the biggest surprise you found in your success? Like what is something that happened that you didn't expect? Um, I would say, you know, I would say fun. Because when I left in April, my job, I didn't think I was like, I didn't envision ever needing funds. <laughs> I didn't ever envision ever needing funds. I thought it was, I thought the chapter was closed. And then I realized that it wasn't, it was like all of that experience that I got over all those years was the foundation of the business. And that I didn't see until it took time. I didn't see that until this year. I didn't see that until this year. I tried to build a course last year, Mark. Last year, I tried to build a course 
and it was on helping passive investors and whatever. And I was doing interviews and trying to talk to different people. And I realized that like, I didn't really see it. Like it wasn't there. And I eventually it just fizzled out and I never created anything. And then ultimately I created this, the fund manager accelerator. And the first iteration looked much different from where it is today. Um, And you were probably on my initial emails of what I initially put forward, which was like a five week, six week type of course. And I got feedback from people that, Hey, this is not what I want. I want to like start tomorrow. And I was like, Oh, tomorrow. What do I, how do I create that? Like, how do I create something that would help someone start tomorrow? And that's how it's constantly iterating and learning and getting feedback and making the pivots. Um, And yeah, like the most surprising thing is that I am using funds. Like I am using all of the stuff that I was working on to now be able to create and help stuff that helps other people build their businesses. Um, So I consult, I help people like get their funds off the ground, like from an accounting perspective, not from a legal perspective, the lawyers handle that, but from an accounting perspective in terms of setting up their QuickBooks and stuff like that, I do that kind of stuff. And then of course I have the fund manager accelerator. So that's like for people who are just like, you know what, I'm curious about funds, but I don't want to pay 10 grand to these fancy um, you know, mastermind people <laughs> or whomever. <laughs> so how do I get distilled the information that I need to determine whether funds is the next step for me or not? That's what the course is all about. Um, so yeah, and now I am revisiting the whole passive investing, creating something for passive investors, because I realized that many of the questions that you asked me today, such as like one of the questions you asked was like, you know, as how do you um, assess what operators to look at and like, what are some of the things, you know, you're looking at and this whole process of like doing the work that I talked about, anyone can do it. Right. But the reality is many people aren't doing it. And that means there's something there that can be shared with passive investors who are not probably doing that or want to do it or aren't as Excel minded or accounting minded. Um, So I think it's coming back to yourself, like what your strengths are and being able to create from that place. And essentially you're giving a gift to the world. You're helping other people help themselves and be empowered to be able to determine what deals work best for them based on where they're investing, where they are in their investing cycle. So, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Now, what is your burning why that causes you to wake up every morning, take the risk of, presenting opportunities, uh, creating a fund, like what drives you to say, this is what I really want to do for however long I want to do it. Yeah. Huh. I would say my burning why at the moment, um, is contribution. Like, I think, I think I remember the story in the Bible where the, you know, I think I can't remember if it was God or someone who was giving the three disciples, the different talents or the people like, right. And he gave different talents and someone, one of them like buried it. The other one like did whatever. And the other one multi used the talent to multiply. Um, and for me, it's contribution. I feel that 
um, everything that you want in life is on the other side of helping people get what they want. And that comes with contributing and using your talents to that higher level of saying, okay, yeah, like how could I create stuff that actually contributes positively to other people and enables them to achieve some of their goals um, and takes their business to like new levels. And, you know, like from that, like you're going to get compensated for sure. So like, there's not going to be a problem there. You're going to get more clients. You're going to get more opportunities. Um, You know, just coming from that place of saying, Hey, you know what? And when you're working in your, um, in your calling, it doesn't really feel like work, you know, like for me, like when I created the fund manager accelerator, it was just like a download. Like, (laughs) When I finally, like, I tell people that it's like, um, like the fighter jet planes in the sky that are getting um, re-gassed and they're like trying to line up the nozzle to make sure that it's connected. So that way they can send the gas into the next plane. Um, To me, I feel like that's how I felt with creating content and even building my business, it's constantly that alignment of lining up like, okay, is this like the right fit of my talents and what the market needs? Um, So yeah, that's what, that's my why. That's what drives me is being able to get up and like do things that I love and to ultimately get to a place of like complete freedom to be able to use my time as I feel Um, and, you know, creating work that really resonates and using all of these years of experience to like be able to add in a meaningful way to other people. So, yeah. So what are, let's say, what are your top three tips that you would uh, offer to someone who was considering and starting in the fun space or, in real estate, you know, still finding their bearings in, in real estate to understand, okay, where do I fit in? Do I fit as uh, on the capital side or, or on the operating yeah. side? What are like your top three, t- three tips you yeah. have for them? So for real estate, um, top three, number one, get educated. There's lots of ways to do that. Um, you know, you don't need to pay 30 grand, <laughs> but you can definitely I would say get educated via online, you know, find a different, you know, paths and stuff. I did pay for some of mine. Um, I think at some point you are going to need to pay. So like, just be cognizant of that and don't like pay crazy amounts of money, but one, get educated Two, network, meet people. Um, And I think before you network, if possible, if possible is get clear on what your role that you want to play in the business is, if possible. If it's not possible and you just don't know, it's better to get educated and to start networking and trust that along the way of taking action, that's the third thing, taking action, trying different things, trying co-GPing. Like if you're in a, in a market where it makes sense to, you know, be boots on the ground, be boots on the ground, like whatever the case is, like sort of taking stock of your natural abilities, your natural skills, like what are the things that you've been working on and like, how have you, like, are you really good in project management? You know, maybe you already have experience doing X, Y, and Z, all this other stuff, right? I think, you know, taking action, the action reveals, it helps you to see, okay, 
Yes, I like this. No, I don't like this. Or you're getting feedback from people and you realize, ah, this, I need to pivot here. I need to change here. That helps you to then sort of see, okay, what makes sense for you? And like, what's the real, you know, what's the next best step based on where you are right now? Um, I think that more than anything is, I think is the best thing to think about. Like, it's like, given where you are right now, like what's the next best little step that you could take. And by taking those little steps a year from now, six months from now, you're in a completely different place because of the little steps that you're taking. They end up being big steps. And then next thing you know, you're like you're miles away from where you started all because of these small steps. Um, so that's what I would say there for funds specifically. One, I would say that, You know, I think that funds work well for both operators as well as for people who are focusing specifically on the capital aspect of the business. It can work extremely well for both. Um, However, getting educated, once again, is definitely important. You know, my course is a great way to get started. And then from there, you can start to see, okay, like, hey, do I need to dig deeper? Do I like that whole idea of funds? Do I want to do this? Do I want to double down into more money? Because there's other stuff that's out there that costs even more. um, And it's a bigger commitment. But the last thing I want someone to do is make that kind of big commitment without fully understanding what they're getting themselves into. And that's why I think that having these kind of starter programs are very helpful in sort of laying out the lay of the land for people before they they shell out 20 grand and 30 grand to go like create an LP, L, um, PPM and all of that stuff. Um, I, as a part of my course, I had interviewed Lisa Kim Taylor and she talked about how, you know, their approach, she's an attorney, an SEC attorney. And she said that their approach is to make sure that they educate people a lot about like the whole funds process um, because they have experience where people have launched and like not made any money or like have just not raised any capital or have just not done anything with the entity. Right. So like, we want to sort of avoid all of that. <laughs> like, yeah. how do you get people educated about what they're getting involved in and like how it all works and what the process is um, before you, you know, start getting started. And that's just one way to take action is getting educated. And then to the extent that it works, you know, going from there. And one other thing, the last thing I'll say on this is that just be mindful of creating entities with other people. Okay. Because like, especially when you're doing funds, because funds are a long game. So you want to make sure that you and these, this other partner or partners are people that, you know, you trust and that, you know, you're not going to be held doing all the work yourself, (laughs) you know, and like, they're nowhere to be found. Right. So I think it's just very important to just make sure you take the time to vet, you know, that's where special purpose vehicles, SPVs might come in very handy because like you just do one SPV with on one investment with this one person. So that helps you and that person to sort of try out each other, see if you like working together. And then if you do, you do a couple more of them and then eventually decide to launch a fund together as opposed to like coming out of the gate, doing that and then realizing, ah, like this is, you know, this is really not a good partnership. So some of the things to think about. Good stuff. And with that said, 
what is the best way for people to learn more about the fund program and about you, Lisa? Yeah, the best place to go, one-stop shop for every single thing is lisahilton.com. Um, so if you want to learn about the fund, just go to lisahilton.com, scroll all the way down to the bottom and you'll see the fund manager accelerator at the very bottom. You can click there, sign up, learn more about that. If you want to learn more about investing in any, like check out some of the deals that I have, um, once again, lisahilton.com, and then you just click on invest. Um, sign up there. We jump on a call. We get to know each other. It also unlocks some of the opportunities that I have. Um, and we'll go from there. And then my website is full of tons of stuff. I have my own podcast. So the Level Up REI. So all the podcast episodes are there. The blogs are there. Um, links to my YouTube video and channel is there. So the whole nine yards is on lisahilton.com. And that's Hilton like the hotel, only thing with a Y. Nice, nice, man. I, I, Lisa, thank you so much for jumping on. This was yeah. truly amazing. I mean, like I said in the beginning, it's always great to talk to you. You are like a wealth of knowledge that just keeps giving. And <laughs> thank I, you. I think, <laughs> indeed. And I think everyone should definitely re-listen to this episode again to understand the concept of funds and the essential of uh, raising capital. And also, as I mentioned earlier, I had Lisa on the on my meetup on last year, uh, September September seventh, I believe it was last year, oh, wow. and she spoke about the the essential ways of raising capital for for commercial real estate. So you guys can definitely check out that check that out on YouTube. I'll definitely be putting all the links and everything that we shared today on the show notes. And Lisa, last question for you: What is the core message that you want our audience to get from our chat today? Huh. I would say the core message is that hmm. core message, I would say investing in real estate is a long game, both for passive investors as well as for active investors. And because it's a long game, take the time to do the work that you need to find out the role that you need to play, what works best for you in terms of investing, both actively and passively. Um, and just know that there is ways in which you can get educated, both as a passive investor, as well as an operator when it comes to finding ways of using, utilizing funds to invest in real estate either it being um, passively investing in opportunities for diversification or creating funds from an operator's perspective to provide investors with, you know, more options to invest in your deals. So, yeah. Nice. I think that's the best way we can close this, this uh, episode out. As you heard, that is the core thing that Lisa shared today. And guys, again, go check out lisahilton.com and definitely peruse her, her website. There are tons of stuff on there. And make sure you guys check out the, the accelerated fund program as well. It is uh it's it's 
it's rocking. It's rocking. <laughs> it, it's a lot of fun packed information in there. So don't delay. And with that said, again, Lisa, thank you so much for taking time out your busy Monday to, to educate us and, and share your wisdom with us. And as always, the platform's always open to you whenever you want to come back as a repeat guest and, and update us on what you're doing with the fund and everything else. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, guys. And with that said, we leave you today and happy investing to you all. Enjoy the rest of your week. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in. And I hope you've gotten massive value from this episode. But before you leave, subscribe, download, and leave us your five-star review as we want to continue pumping you with massive value and content on the No BS Apartment Investing Podcast. Until next time.